Security is proud to be a supporter of ASIO's podcast series. With insightful presenters and expansive subjects, the podcast series is a must if you want to keep at the forefront of the industry. Security, security workforce management software reimagined. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Security Insider podcast. And today we are discussing the insider threat. Our guest is Julian Claxton, longtime friend of the show. Uh, and Julian is a consultant in counter espionage, runs a company called Jade Consulting. Julian, welcome to the program. Hello, hello. Thank you, John. Now, this is an interesting discussion because it's a, a, an issue not just for the security industry, as in being aware of the insider threat, but it's also a challenge for the security industry in that sometimes at the operational level, we can most likely be the insider threat. Uh, so let's, let's start with the challenges around the insider threat. And what I've, there's two things that I want to talk to you about predominantly today, Julian. The first is the role of oversharing on social media in creating insider threats. Mm, mm. And the second is how the the most recent developments in the workforce, which is the move to remote working, has changed the nature of insider threats. Yeah. So let's start with the social media piece. And, and I'll give some context to that. And then you're the guest, so I'm going to shut up and let you talk because people are here for you, not me. Um, but we, we know that when people are first introduced to their level two cert security, they're taught all about being turned and how various state or non-state actors or corporate espionage groups might want to try and approach security to turn them to try and get information. And there are ways that they do that. But that information fades with time and we forget about it and we become dumb. And we don't tend to think about social media and the role that that plays. What is the challenge we have when security overshare on social media? It's a great, uh, a great intro to today because social media is a, a means of communication that probably just about all of us have some sort of touch point with. We all use perhaps Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or various other mediums such as those. And we often feel that we're in a safe space. And we feel we're in a safe space because we're talking about personal matters, not necessarily work-related matters. But what people don't think about uh, is the old adage that whatever you post online stays online. Yep. It never disappears. And so if you don't have the right controls in place, or as I was talking with one of my team yesterday, he's only in his uh, mid-20s, and he was saying that when he first got in touch with me, he knew that I would go and do a bit of research on who he was before we brought him on board, which, yep. which we did. And he said he had a lot of old photographs on Facebook, for example, of him drunk, yep. him at parties, him yep. with you know, girls and doing whatever you might do when you're young, which quite frankly, in my, from my perspective, I wouldn't actually worry about because yeah. it's, you know, what we call youthful indiscretions. But it surfaces a more consistent problem that we see in the market where that sort of posting and behaviour uh, identification, you know, in, in a social context carries through to the workplace. Yeah. And people are very, very uh, lax, even in today's world, where there's warnings galore about making sure that you don't put too much on social media. So what we are seeing still are people not locking down their accounts, not engaging the privacy uh, settings that are available on some of these platforms, and still posting things that they think is personal, unrelated to work, but not considering what we call open source intelligence gathering. Yep. And particularly those in positions of authority or uh, who have an influence over a particular sector or a, a share price, for example, 
uh, and also those in government who are privy to classified information or who, hold, who might hold various clearances within government environments. And they still think it's safe to say that I was down at the park with the kids on the weekend. But straight away, an adversary is going to be looking at that and they're going to say, right, well, he's got two kids. He was down, let's just say, at uh, Ashfield Park. And we now know that he's got two kids. He's probably living in the vicinity in Ashfield. Okay, well, we'll use that to gather a little bit more information. They then see that he was at a 50th birthday party last weekend and he posted a whole pile of photos. And um, looking across different platforms, that Intel operative might then find a photo of him at that particular party and then he sees the, they see the kids and then they see his wife. So now they've got his wife's details, potentially, and they might look up his wife's name. And his wife might not have such good controls, perhaps, on, on other platforms. And one thing leads to another. And it's, so it's little breadcrumbs of information that can actually be hugely valuable uh, to a, uh, an intelligence officer or to a competitor, for example, or anybody who's trying to infiltrate an organisation. Yeah. And I mean, I think to try and bring this back to the realm for me of, you know, well, why does this matter to me and how is this relevant? If I work in an environment where I'm privy to sensitive documents, we now have this situation where a lot of people work from home. Mm. So obviously my home workstation, whether it be my laptop or my desktop or whatever it may be, or even my filing cabinet, you know, because apparently what we do now is we bring home boxes of classified documents and we keep <laughs> them in the basement because that's normal. Um, uh, only if you're a former politician in yeah. the US apparently, well, but yeah. yes. But yeah, <laughs> so we, we might be working on classified information at home now, if I'm on holiday in Fiji for two weeks and I'm taking photos with me and my family going, loving this holiday, I can't believe I've only got 10 days left and I've turned, I haven't turned geotagging off mm. and someone goes, oh, okay, well, that person's in Fiji for the next two weeks and we know that they've got access to sensitive information and we know they work from home, all of a sudden now we've got a problem. Very much so. The big issue that, uh, that was addressed when this work from home concept hit the market, if you like, thanks to COVID is clients saying to us, where we had 20 people executives in a boardroom for a meeting that you would come in and help protect uh, the integrity of, we now have one person in 20 locations, yeah. or people in 20 locations. And there was a cost concern with respect to protecting that. There was a concern regarding getting the right information out and educating those employees in a very quick uh, period of time. Um, that opportunity didn't present itself in the early stages of COVID. And so what we were seeing with the clients that we did work with is we were turning up at these residences and we were finding screens facing out onto the street, onto the roadway. Uh, one of the big things that was of considerable concern to us with, with some particular clients that I'm thinking about here was the Wi-Fi networks. They weren't secured. Yeah. They had very basic levels of security engaged, but certainly not to the same degree that these major corporates had within their corporate environments, within their offices. And so in one particular one that comes to mind, one particular case, uh, he said to me, oh, no, no, we've got web encryption on our, on our networks. And I explained to him that that, you know, that in itself is not sufficient enough. Mm. I said, are you using a VPN? He said, oh, only for, uh, only for work-related uh, 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 um, uh, operations. And I said, okay, and, and is your computer switched off and disconnected? Oh, no, 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 I just leave it there when I don't need it. He had a Sonos audio system running, which had recently had a breach yeah. with the Sonos systems that had been identified by a, an internet security firm. 
And we found, and we're not cybersecurity specialists, we work on protecting privacy, protecting integrity, but as laypersons in the game, we could see a, a tremendous amount of vulnerabilities. But furthermore, and, and this is very, very common, a lot of them were using their Macs or their computer, their, their Windows machines without headsets. Yeah. And so they had their conversations or their Zoom meetings at the time or whatever it was booming out through their maybe an apartment or a residence yep. for, for all the neighbours to hear. Yeah. Um, and I think it's these basic, simple solutions that can be um, applied to remedy some of these things. But if they're not relayed, if it's not educated, sorry, excuse me, if, it's not, if education is not part of the organisation's program, the individual doesn't necessarily know these are breaches or problems that could become breaches. Yeah. And I suppose one of the other big challenges we have with the work from home situation and the insider threat is that when people are together and working in an office, there are certain levels of checks and controls. You know, if, and, and let's, what plays into that is the strange dichotomy of ideas that's starting to appear on the internet over the last five years where we've got, you know, fake news and alternate mm. truth and all sorts of things. So if we look at radicalization as a model, if you're, uh, you know, we're going to, let's just say Julian Claxton becomes the, the latest devotee of QAnon and you're reading all of these wonderful message boards and you're starting to get a little bit squirrely and start thinking some weird things and expressing strange ideas that would be noticed in the workplace. Absolutely. People's ideology does shift. People will go in with one mindset and potentially come out with another. And you're absolutely right. And so what we've been explaining to clients is on Zoom calls and Teams calls, make sure the cameras are actually on. Make sure that people are paying attention to the demeanour, to the mindset of some of their staff. But it's not easy. Yeah. And, and, you know, not everybody is a behavioural specialist. Not everybody can flag anomalous uh, behaviour from some of their staff and these are concerning issues but what you might see potentially are their Instagram posts where they're now not so keen on the organisation they're working for or they might post some strange comments that perhaps go against the grain if you like Yeah. Um, but the question then is whether these organisations are actually monitoring those platforms and, and therein is the problem Yeah. because uh, social media is so wide and varied in its platforms and, and ability to make comment and ability to be commented on. Um, there are a myriad opportunities to compromise an individual on those, in those situations, unfortunately, and not all organisations are taking the right controls and ensuring that they're keeping across these concerns. And I imagine there'd be a lot of concern from some organisations about what might potentially happen from a, a brand reputation and public-facing point of view if they were caught monitoring staff's social media profiles? That's a really difficult predicament to consider because I believe organisations have every right to maintain levels of integrity amongst their client base. Mm -hmm. And I think the best way to approach that is education again, is going back and both from the pre-employment point to employment to ongoing monitoring is to explain to their staff, you know, we want to be able to understand if there are any threats. We want to be able to educate you so you know what's right for the organisation because what's right for them becomes right for you and vice versa. And so it, it, I still say to all our clients, it comes down to education. It comes down to making sure that uh, organisations are transparent in their approach, but that they also don't overstep the boundaries. And that yep. comes down to the level of intelligence that's available out there and, and maintain open source uh, Intel approaches, 
And in reality, you're not doing anything too invasive in that space. If you're not, let's say, getting behind paywalls or firewalls or passwords and controls, then what you're looking at is what people are putting out there for all and sundry to see. Yeah. But does that not also partially come down to good policies and procedures being outlined clearly at the beginning of the employment process? Because if I start a job with Julian Claxton at at Jade Consulting and on day one during my induction you say to me, listen, you need to understand as part of your employment here, we do monitor emails, we do monitor computer use and we will from time to time monitor open source intelligence around your social media. We don't care if you got drunk on Saturday Mm. night. Mm. We don't care if you're running around with your best mate's underpants on your head but we protect John Bigelow Pharmaceuticals is one of our clients Mm. and they make COVID vaccines. And if we start seeing you posting stuff on social media saying, hey, I'm pretty sure these guys are putting tracking chips in the COVID vaccines that they're shipping out to people, we're going to have a discussion around that. I assume if you have that in your policies and procedures and staff are made aware of it from day one, they've got nowhere to go later on if they start arcing up. Uh, They do and they don't. So firstly, there's jurisdictional issues that you've got to be mindful of in this context. So there are some regions such as New South Wales that are covered by the Workplace Surveillance Act and these particular issues that you're referring to are addressed in that that, uh, legal process. But beyond that, think about this. Put 20 people in a room who've been with an organisation for 10 years, five years, sometimes two years, and ask them what was in their induction, what what they learned from the induction. Yep. And I'll guarantee you probably 90% of them will, will have forgotten about it. Yeah, okay. And this comes down to dynamic processes with respect to education and security awareness and observation skills and all of that sort of stuff. Um, every employee has a responsibility to protect the interests of the organisation they represent, regardless of their position, whether they're making tea in the corner or whether they're the CEO or chairperson. Everyone has a responsibility, and it's the organisation's responsibility to keep reminding you of what your obligations are, but doing it in a soft approach as opposed to being totalitarian in in a regime style. You've got to be able to remind people of their obligations, but a lot of it comes down to common sense. So... Um, Part of the government, for example, uh, process is the protective security policy framework within which there's a mandatory requirement for government agencies or departments to remind um, staff of their security obligations via security awareness training annually. And that's a great example where the government get it right to a point that should be transposed perhaps into the corporate sector where regular, perhaps 12 monthly, I tend to say that probably six monthly is more valid and it might be a 10 minute session. It might just be something flashing up on the screen incidentally that they have to acknowledge, not just something that comes up when they log in because people learn to tune out to that sort of thing, but some sort of um, acknowledgement of that refresher if you like. I I can't emphasise enough the importance of education, but a transparent approach by the organisation in the first instance. It comes down to culture as well. And it comes down to staff satisfaction. I mean, there's so many um, varying circumstances that can lead to an insider threat or lead to social media problems, you know, where they post the wrong thing on social media. Uh, It's it's almost a never-ending battle, but but, um, education and communication are absolutely fundamental. Well, on that note, I'm going to bring this conversation back a few steps because there's probably a lot of people listening to this thinking, well, whatever, I don't give a crap. This isn't relevant to me. 
because they don't work in a government department or they don't work in a major organisation. But in my thinking, it is relevant to almost everyone listening to this podcast because if you own a company that provides security staff, those staff have access to areas and offices within organisations that hold sensitive information. If you're an alarm system integrator or installer, you have master codes Absolutely. that allow you access to buildings, places and restricted areas. And I don't think a lot of these organisations have been given enough information around how people get turned and why people get turned and the fact that it's usually the lowest hanging fruit that will be targeted by whether it be foreign powers, state powers, non-state powers, corporate competitors and so on. Absolutely. Um, and the other thing you've got to remember here is it's not just intended uh, turning. It's, yep. it's uh, malicious and non-malicious, so accidental yep. revealing of information. Uh, whether it be sitting in a Qantas lounge, for example, talking about uh, one of your client's new projects that's mm. of high sensitivity to the client and concern, but you don't necessarily think about it. You're talking too loudly, for yep. example. It could be something totally innocuous, and, you know, such as that, um, although they should know better. But it can also be back to the point that you raised, for example, a security company who manages the uh, alarm responses for major corporations, government entities and otherwise, and it could be somebody uh, in a role that is responsible at a, at a terminal and when the alarm goes off, they get the phone call or they make the phone call uh, and they have to ask for a PIN code. And up on the screen is the PIN code for that particular client. They now have a piece of information that is extremely valuable to somebody who might want to infiltrate that organisation. Mm. And I think that it's the responsibility of some of these larger security firms or smaller, any security firm, to actually educate staff on those sorts of issues. It's, it's so often forgotten, John, that, mm. that um, it doesn't matter what your role is. You, yeah. know, you mentioned that almost every organisation can be impacted by an insider threat incident. Well, I, I'd, I'd take out the word almost. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're the security company protecting that company, that organisation, yep. or the organisation themselves. And in fact, I've had many chats with some of my um, uh, like-minded counterparts about insider threats and the concerns that are presented to some of these high-risk environments that we all work in. And we all agree that we ourselves could be the threat. Yeah. You know, I like to say to you that, you know, we maintain absolute integrity and we do everything the way we should be doing it and we're conscious of the risks that are posed. But the reality is we might make a mistake. I hope we don't. Yeah. But we absolutely might. And some of the information that I'm privy to personally is phenomenal. And if yeah. I leaked it, whether it was intentional or unintentional, it could have uh, devastating effects on the organisation I'm representing or working with at the time. Yeah. So everybody, not almost, but everybody has a responsibility and every sector, organisation, individual working is responsible for maintaining some sort of level of security when it comes to insider threat concerns. Yeah. Now, a lot of the companies that might be listening to this will be uh, companies that provide both security personnel, systems integration personnel, and possibly even cleaners. And we know from a lot of the research that's been done in the past that two of the biggest insider threat vectors for a lot of organisations are security staff and cleaners. And that's not having a go at those two industries. It's just that they're easy targets for people who know what they're doing. Walk us through what an approach would normally look like for people who don't understand how this works. There's so many different manners in which a person could be compromised. It could be something totally innocent that takes a, seemingly innocent, excuse me, that takes many, many months. And I, I want to draw back, I'm going to digress just slightly here, but yep. I want to draw back to the work from home scenario. Yep. When we've interviewed several of our senior executive staff 
uh, during the COVID period who are now working from home, we've asked what their habits are. Yep. And in most instances, in most cities, you were allowed to go within a five or maybe a two kilometre radius of your home. Yep. And so a lot of local cafes set up outdoor seating areas with milk crates and yep. you know coffee carts and all that sort of stuff. And time and time again, we got to a point where those particular clients of ours were going to the same places at 11 o'clock every day or on the way to pick the kids up from the park because they haven't been able to get out of the house for a while, whatever. So there was a pattern and we saw these behavioural patterns forming. So to your point or to your question, how, you know, what would it look like? So let's forget about senior executives. Let's look at um, some of the more uh, critical support staff, cleaners, security and so on. If I want to target an organisation and I know that that organisation's security company is XYZ Security and I know that their cleaning company is ABC Cleaning, you know, sorry if there's an ABC out there, um, and and I'm dead set intent on getting into that organisation, I'm going to start doing some intelligence analysis. I'm going to look at open source material and I'm going to look and I say, right, well, John Bigelow is a cleaner who happens to work for this organisation because on his Facebook account, he's got his employer as uh, Acme Company Proprietary Limited and Acme is the one I'm targeting. So I'm now going to start looking through John's Facebook, his Instagram and various other platforms and I'm going to start forming a profile on who John is, what he yeah. does, how many kids he's got, what his habits are and so on and so forth. And perhaps, John, somewhere in that mix... I see that you go to the local cafe every morning before you head off to work. And I, I was talking about a COVID scenario, but it's either or, you know, mm-hmm. back to work or during COVID. So you're going to the same cafe probably every other day yep. at the same time. Now, depending on the level of, in, uh, of infiltration I want to achieve with uh, Acme Company Proprietary Limited, I might start going to the cafe at the same time every day. I might be a blonde woman, yep. uh, you know, that, that might appeal to you, John, or I could be just a, a, an easygoing, happy-go-lucky guy, and I'm going to start talking to you every day. Hey, mate, how you going? Oh, I yep. saw you here yesterday. Oh, don't you love their coffee? Yeah. And I'm going to strike up a conversation with you, which might be quite innocent and quite innocuous, and, you know, as far as your perception goes. And it might take me two months before I get to a point where I say... Oh, I understand you, you know, you mentioned the other day you work for a cleaning company or you do this, you know, what, what do you actually do? And, and then you might tell me, oh, well, I work for Acme Company Proprietary Limited. And then I'm going to say to you, oh, I'm looking for a job. Is there any opportunity to get in there? Um, or whatever the circumstance might be. Or I'm going to solicit enough information to know that you're struggling financially. You've got a little one who's just uh, become ill and there's going to be great, horrendous medical costs. And I might look and say, I'm pretty keen. I, uh, you know, a mate of mine wants to do some business with him. Hey, um, what if I give you a couple of bucks to, to, to let me in one night? You, could I come on the job with you? Or... Um, you, you get to clean all the bosses' offices, don't you? And, and if I believe that I've built enough of a rapport with you, I might actually pose that question. Listen, I'm going to give you... I know you're in a bit of strife. I'm, I'm a pretty successful guy, maybe. Mm. I'm going to give you five grand. All I want you to do is photograph the documents on the desk. Yeah. It could be something as simple as that, yeah. um, which might take a long period of time. But it could also be the, the old honey trap. You know, I might be a good-looking woman or a good-looking guy targeting a person and I might actually approach that person and be successful in compromising them, mm. getting what we call compromat, which is the old Russian terminology. Yeah. And I might say, excuse me, I might say to you, uh, John, uh, 
I've got this evidence against you. Uh, have a look at these photographs. Have a look at this video. If you don't give me what I want from the organisation, then I'm going to tell your wife or your husband or whatever the circumstances yep. are. So there's so many different means by which um, nefarious action can be taken to exfiltrate information from somebody. Yeah. Then, of course, you've got the more concerning uh, government-level espionage yep. where you might be a sleeper agent, you might be planted within an organisation, and we have absolutely seen this, where cleaners... Yep. And, and it's, it's sad to, to target cleaners here, but you've got to think about the fact that... Forget about the denominator within society. Um, uh, well, it just simply comes down to the fact access. that they have access. Access, yeah. wholly and solely. That's cleaners all. and security particularly. Yeah air conditioning contractors, yep. plant and maintenance contractors. You know, yep. they come in and wheel in a new pot plant. How do we know that hasn't been bugged? You know, there's yep. all these different vectors that can be compromised or can be used Think to compromise. about every diehard movie you've ever watched. <laughs> <laughs> Spot on. But, um, you know, and I've lost my train of thought now, but... Um, you were talking about access and the fact that it's got nothing to do with the, the demographic profile. Excuse me, with the, with the demographic them. profile. Thank you. Um, those people have access Yep. And so um, we have absolutely seen, almost by accident in some instances and targeted in others, there was one particular case, it was very, very late at night. Uh, I won't say the sector, but, you know, a, a broad sector with, with a lot of money, let's say. Yep. Um, three of us were working in a particular room late at night. All of the other lights had turned off. It was on the motion action, uh, motion sensors. Yep. So we were in a very small room tucked away in a corner and suddenly we saw the cleaners come in in the distance because all the lights popped on as, yep. as she came in. Long story short, um, we thought, oh, well, well, this wasn't targeted in this instance. We just thought, well, let's see how she performs. She pulled out a bloody camera and she was photographing all the desks, one, literally one after the other. Wow. So that's a great example. I mean, that, that was an accidental catch, in all truth. And we decided to keep low-key and not to reveal our presence. Yeah. We took photographs of her taking photographs and subsequently passed that on to the client and, and yeah. need, need not say where, where that went from there. That's yeah. one example. We've had other clients that have approached us and have said we have caught cleaners removing paperwork, taking it out to the car, scanning it, bringing it back in. Yeah shredding documents. I think it's hilarious because I still see this day after day after day where organisations, executives, have a box under their desks that say, for shredding. Yeah. It's absurd because I'm going to go straight to that point if I'm the guy wanting information of a sensitive nature. Yeah. So a lot of it comes back to common sense as well. But getting access is a lot easier than people probably realise. Yeah. Um, even just bluffing your way into an organisation in whatever capacity you might be able to do it. And particularly now that there's this work-from-home environment, corporate offices have been empty for months, if not years. Yeah. And so um, that level of complacency is kicked in. The natural surveillance is not there. Yeah. I could potentially have worked on getting in with the cleaning company that goes in every week just to keep the dust away. I've had all the time in the world to install a covert surveillance device, to set the place up for further surveillance or whatever circumstance it might be. There's another piece to this that I think is quite interesting, though, that I'd like to discuss before we finish up, and that is that often when someone is caught, two things happen. A, the company doesn't necessarily know what to do aside from just let that person go. They don't actually report the activity to anyone. And B, because they're embarrassed about what's happened, they don't tell anyone about what's happened. So that person may then go on to get future roles in 
a multitude of other organisations before something happens. We are dealing with one of those at this very moment. Yeah. project that I've been working on overseas, I've only just recently returned, as you know, uh, where, and I don't want to say too much because... It, 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 just because I don't want to say too much, but, yep, fair but basically there is a person of significant responsibility within this organisation yep. who has been caught compromising the yep. organisation in simple yep. terms. The client caught them, not us. Yep. We were brought in as in the aftermath, if you like, and we've provided a sweep of this particular property. Uh, the concern in this instance is the client has said to me, we don't want to bring it to anybody's attention because of the reputational risk to our yeah. organisation. Yep. And if it's found out that they did what they did, then our credibility is then questioned moving forward. Yep. And the first thing I said is, well, what about when he goes to one of my other clients? Yeah. Because that's a very likely scenario. Absolutely. And reputational damage is a significant component to non-reporting. And it's really concerning. Yeah. Organisations have an obligation to flag some of these rogue individuals and insider threats who have been caught performing whatever action it is that they've been doing. Yeah. Now, if it is that someone is caught doing something that's not necessarily a financial crime, but it might be something along the lines of corporate espionage or industrial espionage or whatever the case may be, who is the appropriate authority for them to report to? Now, that's a really good question because... Um, in my experience, a lot of the law enforcement bodies don't know how to deal with it. Right. What we do have now is a very robust program with, um, uh, with uh, ASIO here in Australia, and they have a, an outreach program for this very purpose so yep. that organisations can approach them for advice. And depending on the circumstance, so for example, if it's a critical infrastructure organisation that's had a breach, ASIO is probably one of the better people to, or better organisations to contact. The Federal Police would be your next port of call. Uh, and again, it really does depend on the nature of the organisation and particularly the nature of the breach. Yeah. So we have had breaches with critical infrastructure that we have identified, and I'm referring to covert surveillance devices illegally placed within a particular organisation. We said to the client, you need to get in touch with yeah. ASIO. You need to bring this to, to their attention. And to their credit, they absolutely did, and controls were then placed uh, within that organisation moving yeah. forward. Because it's not inconceivable, especially in this day and age with this global environment, that, you know, uh, I happen to be working at a, a government research or even a corporate research mm. department that's doing some fairly important pharmaceutical or research. Or university research, or university. particularly. And, you know, I'm one of the, the research people and uh, the cleaner starts asking me a range of questions Good that call. are very, mm. very strange questions. It's like, why are you asking me this? I report that person to the Chancellor at the University. The Chancellor of the University then, I imagine, speaks to someone in outreach at ASIO. They identify this person and they go, hey, we saw them walking out of the Bigelodia uh, em embassy up the road the other day. That's interesting. We need to be keeping it. I mean, this mm. is the problem with non-reporting. It's all about communication. And I yeah. think organisations need to be a little more brave, if you like, and, yeah. and maintain that communication. We have really good structures within our government entities, and particularly within our intelligence community, set up to do this, set up to support organisations, both government and private. And I think a lot of corporations don't realise that the Australian government is there to support them as much as it is themselves, per se. Yeah. Um, we, we all have a responsibility. And 
the widget company that makes the widget that goes into the uh, the camera system that that is put up on the ceiling that monitors the government building has a responsibility to report any incidents because it could be that widget that provides the later breach or um, opportunity for hacking or whatever the circumstance might be. Communication is fundamental and it works both ways. Organisations need to communicate and educate their staff base and teach them that when that cleaner asks a few strange questions, again, sorry to all the cleaners out there, um, that something may not be right about it. Now, it may be totally innocent, but report it anyway. Yeah. And the right robust reporting mechanisms within organisations will then flag patterns. And you're looking for anomalous behaviour and patterns of anomalous behaviour, particularly both from an individual perspective, but also from a collective perspective. If you have six incidents reported in four weeks and then none for three years, it's those six incidents that we need to start looking at. And the organisation needs to say something's not right. Give outreach a call. Yeah, you know, give the team a call and say, "Hey, this may be nothing, and I'm sorry if I'm wasting your time, but this is what we're seeing." And you might just find that catches the next spy ring, for example. Yeah, and for those organisations that do have an in-house security department or a chief security officer or whatever it may be, call them. They should be your first very much of call. so, very much so. And and now we're 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 shifting into the discussion of insider threat management programs. Yeah, in America, those programs were mandated back in I think it was 2011. Yep. So uh, American companies have a legal obligation to maintain security um, protocols surrounding insider threats. Yep. Um, we're only just seeing that here in Australia now. We're only just starting to see those um, motions in play where organisations are saying, well, hang on a minute, the insider risk is a significant risk to yep. our organisation. We, we need to start addressing those now. But they don't know where to turn. And it comes back to that what we say earlier, the education, so security awareness and reporting programs. It's really, really important. So to help land this plane, because we're getting close to the end of our allotted time, you know, without giving away all the goodies in the store, you know, what are your top few tips for organisations in managing insider threats? So I think it's important to have a team of people responsible so that when an incident or a potential incident, so back to reporting, comes into play, there's a group that is actually able to spring into action, a bit like a crisis management team. And that should typically comprise security management, executives, legal, HR. Um, Those should be ready to jump. So treat it like a crisis in that respect. Um, Robust reporting mechanisms, fundamental. Yep. A lot of organisations now have these whistleblower mechanisms. The important thing, and we see a lot of reporting through that, uh, suggesting uh, nefarious activity from other staff, often and mostly anonymously, the organisations then need to respond. So don't just have the mechanism and do nothing with it. Respond and reply. So action, but also go back to the person making the complaint, if you know who it is. If you don't know who it is, make sure you do something about that complaint. We, We all too often see that the complaints are made and no action is taken, and the person making the complaint then becomes the insider threat because they get frustrated that nothing's being done about it. So that's another important thing. Probably, again, they're all really important, but up at the top of the list is education. So security awareness. Educate within your staff base so they understand what to look for. And they understand that this is not this sort of dobbin culture that we've avoided in Australia for decades. It's a very different workspace now. The, the, The... the, the work from home, the corporate profile, government profile, employee situation has had a massive paradigm shift in the last two and two and a half years. And we need to keep up with that. 
So again, back to education. I think they're probably the, the, some of the more critical manner, uh, factors that need to be considered when looking at insider um, risk profiles within your organisation. Well, Julian, thank you very much for your time today. If people want to know more about you, where do they find you? Look, I'm, uh, I'm pretty easily searched, Julian Claxton or jadeconsulting.com, uh, J-A-Y-D-E consulting.com, but uh, more than happy to help anyone who's got any questions in that respect. Fantastic. Thank you very much for your time. And ladies and gentlemen, if you've enjoyed this discussion, you can find many more like them in the ASIAL podcast series. You just visit the website www.asial.com.au. Look under the news section. You will find all the podcasts there. Or you can find them on Blurberry, Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, Podbean, and all the other fantastic places you find podcasts. And until next time, have a great day. Security is proud to be a supporter of ASIAL's podcast series. With insightful presenters and expansive subjects, the podcast series is a must if you want to keep at the forefront of the industry. Security. Security workforce management software reimagined.